Welcome to Practical Christian Living. If you want to be able in six months and a year to be godly, to be powerful, to have God use you in a strong spiritual way, to take the gifts that God's given you and to be used by Him, then you have to exercise yourself spiritually. You've got to get into shape spiritually. And so Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, this older pastor to this younger pastor, to stay, stay in shape spiritually. Exercise. You either love it or hate it. But exercising spiritually is definitely a much more rewarding and enjoyable process for the believer who wants to be in shape and able to be used by God. Living the Christian life is very much like a marathon. And without exercising and eating right, we are sure to grow weary and stop the race. With more from the Apostle Paul to Timothy on how to stay in shape spiritually, Here's Bible teacher Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson, with 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 6. Father, we again are blessed by your word. We thank you for the time that we can spend together here. And we open up our Bibles before you as we're opening up our hearts. We want to hear from you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today as we look at these words from Paul to Timothy. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is Exercise the Right Way. And I love this text because here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing a very personal letter to Timothy. Paul is an older pastor. Timothy is a younger pastor. And he wants to encourage him on what he needs to do to have effective ministry. What kind of things does he need to do today in order to make sure that his ministry stays effective? Now, as we're making our way through the scriptures and we come through a passage like this, this would be a great passage to teach at a pastor's conference, no doubt, so that you could encourage those that are involved in ministry to nourish their faith, to be strong as they minister. But I want to remind you that the Bible says that each one of you are ministers, I know that you don't see yourself as a minister, but you are. And that my job, the Bible tells me as a pastor, is to prepare you to do the ministry. And when you think about God doing this, that God calls pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, there's only so much that I can do as an individual. And sometimes churches kind of have the idea that their pastor's the minister and the people are there to support the ministry of the pastor. That is so limited because there's only so much that I can end up doing. But if my job is to equip you so that you do the work of the ministry, all of a sudden we see the city being covered by those who are gifted, empowered, and who are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you are. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each one of you has received a gift, minister that gift to one another. So each one of you has been gifted by God. You've been empowered by God. He gives you the Holy Spirit and he gives you gifts to minister where God wants you to be. And this is written to a younger guy and we'll get into that. But I want to remind you that God uses people where they are and that to God, your age doesn't matter. Some of you guys are so young that as you begin to think about being used by God, people kind of look down on you. Some of you guys are so old that when you say, I want to be used by God, people kind of think, eh, you're already done. You're over the hill. 
But I want to remind you that God called Elizabeth, remember she was the mother of John the Baptist, when she was really old, and she called her cousin Mary when she was really young, a teenager. At the same time, God using both of them, one of them to bring the Messiah in the world, and one of them to bring John the Baptist, the forerunner, into the world. God called Abraham when he was 75 years old. That's when he heard the call of God. Some of you guys would fit right in there. You, would, you don't really think of God now beginning to use you. And God called David when he was 15 years old. And God used both of them in powerful ways. And so I want to remind you, whether you're young, whether you're old and you're here today, and, and there's always these excuses that get into our mind, you know, God can't use me now. God's not going to use me now. I'm, I'm retiring. Hey, God's been waiting for you to retire. God's going, now it's on. You're retiring. Now there's nothing standing in the way of what my plan is for you. We were talking about Kenya. That's exactly what happened to I. Louis for Garments of Praise. She had retired and was looking forward to kicking back. And all of a sudden, God took her to Kenya and a whole ministry opened up as God began to use her. God can use all of us where we are. And as we begin to live for him, we want to be effective. So that's the application of this text. We want to be effective in what God's called us to do. So we need to exercise spiritually. That's the whole point of this text. And Paul talks about what he needs to do to make sure that he exercises spiritually. Being effective for God, living for him wholeheartedly, ministering for him is more than just a matter of your will. You may go to church or you're listening to a teaching program at work or you're driving down the road listening to a teaching and all of a sudden God touches your heart. And all of a sudden you say, you know what? I want to live for God. I want to live for him with everything that I have. Well, that's a beginning and that's a good place to be, but it takes more than that. What if today, listening to this study, I'm going to talk about a marathon in a minute. And I know that some of you guys here want to run a marathon. I can say I don't understand you, first of all, but some of you guys do. Some of you guys want to run it. And uh, so because I brought it up today, all of a sudden it clicks something in you and you go, it's time. I'm going to run a marathon. So after church today, you go and you sign up online for the Boston Marathon. And you have six months to get ready. And so you're, you're, the matter of will is, I'm going to run it. And you actually went and signed up for it. You had such a commitment that you went and signed up for it. But six months is not enough time to prepare for a marathon, right? So if you're going to be ready for that marathon, you better start right now. But you go home this afternoon and you sit down with a slice of pizza and you watch golf on TV, which is a sure invitation to falling asleep, right? <laughs> and your husband or your wife says to you, listen, you need to get up and start training for this. And you go, hey, I got time. Well, if that's the way that you do it and you never prepare for that marathon, when you get there in six months, oh, you had the will. You had the commitment to sign up for it. But when you start to run that race, it isn't going to take 100 yards until you realize you made a mistake. Until you go, I'm going to finish the race with the pretend run. Do you know what the pretend run is? We have a couple guys that run in our neighborhood. It really can't be called running, but they do this. People walking their dogs past them. That's the way you'll have to run the marathon. It's not even walking speed. It's just like, I'm running the marathon. It's going to be a long time, but I'm going to run it. Well, the same is true spiritually. If you want to be able in six months and a year to be godly, to be powerful, to have God use you in a strong spiritual way, to take the gifts that God's given you and to be used by Him, then you have to exercise yourself spiritually. 
You've got to get into shape spiritually. And so Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, this older pastor to this younger pastor, to stay, stay in shape spiritually. Timothy, you want to be effective in what God's called you to do? You want to be a good minister? Then you need to stay in shape. That's what he says. Now, we pick it up then in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, where it says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and in good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. Now note that he says, if you continue in these things, you will be a good minister. That's the topic of this very personal text that we're reading today. He's telling Timothy how he can be a good minister. When we apply this to our lives, we can learn from him how we are to be effective in the call, the empowering, the Spirit of God that is given to each one of us. He says two areas that you need to nourish yourself in. Nourish yourself in the words of faith and in good doctrine. He doesn't just write go into exercise because there's two parts to being in shape. There's what you eat and there's your exercise. You work out, but if you eat poorly, then you don't end up really getting the benefits from that, right? And so he says you need to be nourished in the word of faith and in doctrine. The word of faith is trusting that God will move on your behalf. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is calling you and that he's empowered you with the spirit because he wants to do things through you and around you? That if you will have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. Do you know that the Bible says that God is looking for people that he can show himself strong to? But a lot of times we don't step out in that faith. We don't put God to the test. We don't say, you know what? I'm going to begin to see what God's doing. What, what do you want from me? That's the starting point for many of us here. We need to say to God, what do you want? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And then step out in faith and begin to see what God does. So he says, Timothy, you need to be nourished by the word of faith and then by doctrine. Now, the word doctrine simply means teaching. We could say that the word doctrine means true teaching. There's false teaching and then there's true teaching. Doctrine is true teaching. So whenever we talk about doctrine, we're talking about what the Bible teaches as truth. We're talking about what truth is. Now, I believe that we approach the Bible to discover the truth of doctrine. But doctrine's not defined by an individual. Doctrine's not defined by a group. Calvary Chapel doesn't have a, a hold on the market of doctrine, of true doctrine. Neither does any other denomination and, or groups, because Calvary's supposed to be an affiliation of churches and not a denomination. But the whole idea is, is that we want to know what the truth of God is. We don't want to get distracted by theologies, by denominations, by affiliations. We want to study the scriptures on our own to find out what the truth is. Now, perhaps I go through the Bible and I begin to teach a particular area and maybe I don't teach it right. You have the responsibility of making sure that you have an understanding for what it really is saying. So you always study the scriptures for yourself, owning it for yourself. That's what's going to nourish you, getting a hold of the truth. And I've always said, any pastor that do, or any teacher, Bible teacher, who doesn't want you to check out what he says, any Bible teacher that gets offended when you say, 
I don't know if you're teaching this exactly right. I think that this comes into play or that comes into play. Any pastor that would go, don't you question me, in my opinion, is not a pastor worth his salt. Because a true teacher of the Word of God doesn't care so much about his own pride but cares more about what the truth is. And I love when people are studying the Bible enough that they go, I'm not sure that that's what that means. I think, I think this passage over here comes to play with it. And I love when people come up and they will say, you know, have you ever thought about this passage in, in light of that passage? Because the Bible says, compare scriptures to scripture to find out what the truth is. So when someone comes up and says, have you ever thought about this passage and what you were saying there? And I love to look at him and I go, you know, I, I really haven't. Because it tells me that there's some thinking going on. And I believe that God wants us to discover the truth. Not just be, you know, mindless robots that will go, whatever Calvary Chapel says that I believe. Whatever uh, this theology says that I believe. I grew up in a Baptist church. Whatever Baptists say that I believe. Whatever Catholics say that I... God didn't want us to do that. God wants us to know what His truth is. And I'm going to say it again. There's no one that has a corner on the truth. And so we've got to search the scriptures and be nourished in what the true word of God is. And then there's freedom in the truth. There's power in the truth. God begins to move within the truth. And that's all the doctrine is. So we're nourished in the word of faith and doctrine. And then it goes on to say, I love that he says to Timothy in the end of verse 6, which you have carefully followed. He is encouraging Timothy. He doesn't just want to kind of point his finger at Timothy, make him feel bad. Timothy, you're a minister of the gospel, but listen, you're going to be nourished if you hang on to the word of truth and doctrine as if to say to him, you haven't been doing any of this. You lousy, rotten pastor. Why don't you pull it together and start teaching the doctrine and the word of faith? Paul wants to make sure that he's an encouragement. Listen, to chew people out, especially for those of you that God's calling into ministry, to chew people out, to point your finger and to preach a condemning message, you horrible, awful, stinking, stagnant Christians. How come you guys don't do what you're supposed to do? Those kind that's easy preaching. That's an easy way to preach. It really is. I call it Gomer piling people. That's a shame, shame, shame kind of a kind of a message. But to encourage people is harder. To tell people, you're not close enough to God. How horrible are you that you that's easy. But to get people encouraged to draw closer to God, that's more difficult to do. But that's what God wants from us. And I love that Paul encourages him. Timothy, you've been doing these. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm just saying, if you really want to be nourished, then you need to be nourished in the word of faith and in doctrine, which you have been careful to follow up to this point, right? And then he says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself in godliness. Reject profane. The word profane here, we might connect it to cursing or profanity because the word profane. But the, the Greek word is the word, and it's been translated myths in some of your Bibles, it's the word babbling. It's just when men begin to teach their own ideas. It's when men are not teaching the principles of the Bible and the truth of the Bible, but they're teaching their own philosophies. I have often said, I am not interested in the philosophies of men. I'm interested instead in what God has for us. Uh, when I go to a pastor's conference, and I go to a few a year, there are just times that I go that I want to be ministered to. You know, giving out all the time. You just want to go and do what you guys are doing right now. I just want to go sometimes, open up my Bible, and have somebody share with me and encourage me from the Word of God. When I go to a pastor's conference, and somebody gets up and gives me philosophy, 
their own philosophy, philosophies of men, or, or their way, that they, and they don't go to the Word of God. They don't teach out of a passage. They don't teach from a... And I've had that happen. I always get frustrated because I don't want to go and sit down in a message and hear the philosophies of men for 45 minutes. It's the last thing that I want. I don't want the babblings of men. I want the truth. I want doctrine. I want God to speak to me through His Word. And listen... People can give messages, they can be good communicators, they can be funny, but if they don't give the truth, nothing of spiritual significance happens. And so it's, he says, reject profane and old wives' fables. What are old wives' fables? Well, it's just old wives sitting around telling stories. And I realize in a politically correct world, that's not the right way to say it, but that's what it means. It's just like, again, not politically correct, but a bunch of old ladies sitting around, blah, 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 blah. And they're talking about things that, that don't matter. They're talking about things that aren't really true. And Paul says to Timothy, reject these things and instead exercise yourself in godliness. Get in shape spiritually. Exercise yourself towards godliness. He says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable to all things. In other words, hey, we all understand the benefits of working out, Right? Some of you guys are workout nuts. You love to do it. You go and you work out. You've got that momentum going. Others of you only wish you were workout nuts. You, uh, you like to sit around on, watch TV and eat pizza. And the thought of going and working out is a very, very painful thing to you. And after the message last night, my wife went to that message and she's very, she's brutally honest to me. It's always good to have that person that's brutally honest. And uh, she said, why do you hate working out? Why are you so down on, on working out? I'm not down on working out, all right? But if you have time to exercise godliness or to exercise physically, and you only got time for one or the other, then it's a bad choice to choose to exercise physically with all of the benefits that there are. See, the Greek culture, and remember, this is a Roman city, that, Ephesus, that Paul's writing to Timothy from Ephesus. So it's Roman city, it's in Rome, but it's also in the midst of a Greek culture. And in the Greek culture, the Greeks loved working out, staying in shape, they were obsessed almost as much as we in the United States are obsessed by it. Do you know that there's a hundred billion dollar industry for fitness? And there is a hundred billion dollar industry for diets. So if you want to make some money, come up with something, a fitness diet plan. There's a lot of money out there to be had if you come up with a, with a fitness diet plan. Because we think of those things. John Corson, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor. I love John, and John was talking about this passage, and he said that there was a study that was done that showed that for every hour that you worked out, you gained an hour of life. You are a little bit more healthy, and you gain an hour. But then he said this. He said, that's good. If you can work out a few hundred hours in your life, and you gain those few hundred hours, and that's awesome. He said, however, the hour you gained was spent in a stinky, sweaty gym. You gained an hour, but that hour you gained was in a gym. So is it really, you know, is it really, a, is it really a, an equal kind of a thing? And then he said this, and on top of that, when you worked out in the gym, you were young, strong, healthy, had a lot of energy. When you gained it at the end of your life, you're being pushed around in a wheelchair. You don't really want to do anything. So is it really a good trade-off? Now, this is the part my wife said, why do you hate working out? That's why she said it to me, because I was talking about that. Hey, listen, working out is great. Getting in shape is good. Uh, you feel healthier, you're stronger, you do more things. Um, the whole idea of momentum, that once something gets going, you start to work out, you get more, you do it when you, you know, that which is stationary remains stationary, that which is moving moves, right? That's all good. You have less chance of a heart attack, less chance of a stroke when you work out. Say, 
it profits a little bit. But that's not the point of the text. And when people bounce off this text and just go into a whole diatribe on Christians should exercise, which I've heard done before, I think is a misuse of this text completely. He's assuming that they already know that exercise is a profit, okay? Exercise profits a little bit, but godliness is profitable to everything. For that which you have now, it says in the middle of verse 8, for that now is and which is to come. In other words, godliness helps you now and helps you in the future throughout all of eternity. So just as you exercise to get yourself in shape physically, you need to exercise to get yourself in, in shape spiritually. And I'll ask you this, have you done that? Are you doing that? It's more than just a matter of the will. I'm going to get godly. It's a matter of doing it. It's a matter of saying, I want to know what the truth is. I want to read God's word. And, and I get very careful at this point because I don't want to be legalistic. When I left the church I grew up in, I found myself in a very legalistic church. And if you didn't read your Bible, you know, your three, four chapters a day, then you weren't really a Christian. I mean, they had all those things. And I got so yucked out at legalism that I, I want to make sure that we never get legalistic. But I think that we should read our Bibles every day. Not because of legalism. Not because if you don't, then God's not going to do anything on your behalf, but because the greatest thing that you can do for yourself spiritually is to know God. That's what it's all about. In the end, do you have anybody that you know so well that you're watching something happen to them and you go, oh no, because you know how they're going to respond? You know them so well and they do, they respond exactly like you do. Or you hear that something happened and, they, and you go, have they heard about it yet? And, and they go, no. And there you go, oh man. Because you know them good enough to know how they respond. Well, let me ask you, do you know God good enough? Do, do you know what makes him happy? Do you know what makes him angry? Do you know what grieves him? Do you know how he's going to respond? Do you know him? That's what, what God wants for us, is that we know him. When we exercise ourselves in godliness, and if I can get real practical with you, there, there ought to be a time in the day when you just read your Bible. When you just get your Bible out and you read it. It doesn't take long. I read three chapters a day. I make bets about through the Bible in a year, right, right around there. I just kind of settled into this over the years. I read a chapter out of the Old Testament, a chapter out of the New Testament, and I read a Proverbs. So it probably takes me a year and a half to get all the way through the Bible. Um, it takes me 10 minutes at night to do that. I do it before I go to bed at night, and I do it now on my iPad. You scroll by touching your finger on it, right? Earlier in my study today, it's the first time I've ever done this, I tried to scroll my actual Bible. I like was like, oh, doesn't really work that way. That's kind of a side effect to the world that we live in. I use my iPad at night when I read, and instead of having a pencil or a highlighter in my hand like I used to, when I'm reading a chapter in the Bible, because I've been legalistic before to where I got to read three chapters a day or two chapters a day, so then I read it. Okay, I read my two chapters, it's okay. But I didn't get anything out of it. So now when I read my Bible, I'm looking for God to say something to me. I read it with that anticipation, that expectation. And so I'm always looking for something to highlight. So I'm, I'm, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm waiting for something to speak to me so I can, ooh, that's good, and I can highlight it. Oh, that's good, I can highlight it. My daughter was looking over my Bible, and this is back when I did use my Bible to read and highlight and things in. She looked at one page that everything was highlighted in. And she goes, what, there wasn't one verse in there that didn't speak to you? I think that that kind, not legalistically, but saying, I want to know what God's word says and I know God can speak to me. Do you believe that if you started reading Colossians today, that God would speak to you out of Colossians? 
Do you believe if you started reading Romans today or Genesis 1 today or Matthew 1 today or what, that God would start speaking to you out of it? That's exercising yourself in godliness. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.